Products. Did you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps originated as an idiom to describe a ludicrously far-fetched or impossible task. And welcome back to Zero Credits, the show where we talk about things. My name's Holiday Henry. And my name's Holiday John. And together we're Holiday Henry and John coming at you to discuss the jingling bells of the cultural zeitgeist here in this holiday-themed season of zero credits the whole season, John. <laughs> there is a word to describe the feeling of autumn, and that is autumnal. I feel like I'm uh, introing an episode of like Prairie Home Companion. Yeah, yeah, this is NPR. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is the word for, for winter? <laughs> oh, I think it's called cold as balls. It's real cold. Now, the, this is something that everyone loves to hear about, is two people discussing the weather. But how come it gotta be 85 degrees one day and then 32 the next? I don't know. I think it's what they say about the, the weather in any... You know, have you ever have you ever been to another city? I have. And you know you've been to another city and you comment on the weather and then like a native from that city always says the same thing. Oh, that's that's the weather. That's what it's... That's. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got it. You got it. That's what they say about weather in this place. If you don't like it, wait five minutes. And that's said across the entire entire planet. I think that's even said in the molten core of the earth. Yeah, yeah. Some rock men are like, well, that's what they... That's the thing. <laughs> that's what it is. I, I wonder... I gotta wonder who the person is... Because I heard this in our old town, I've heard this in New Orleans, and I've heard this now in Austin, where I'll be listening to, like, a local radio station, and they'll put in, like, a bump, and the bump will be like, you know what they say about Austin weather? If you don't like it, wait five minutes, and it'll change. You know what they say about New Orleans weather? Yeah. Who is the person who hears someone pitch that right down, and they're like, God, I've never heard I've never that before. Heard that. That's the craziest, that's the that's best That's amazing. You, you totally you, encapsulated what it's like to live in this one city. This is like nothing else that anyone has ever experienced. It speaks truth. This is true. Uh, the, the thing, the crazy thing is, it's like, you used to have to travel to get all these dumb jokes that are repeated in literally every city on the goddamn planet. But then, like, uh, I don't know, some British guy created the internet? Yeah, DARPA. DARPA chief? DARPA, DARPA rescue the DARPA chief. <laughs> the DARPA chief of Metal Gear Solid invented the internet. Yeah. And now, just moms will post those jokes onto their feeds <laughs> and you can literally scroll down and you just see a bunch of different repeated jokes of different city names and it's kind of like huh nobody's special i used to think before the internet not before the internet i used to think before the proliferation of like generalized social media you know back when i exist on chat rooms forums uh, muds only fans accounts only, that you love only fans accounts back you know the old days of the internet uh pre-tiktok i i used to imagine that everyone was like unique and brilliant and had like their own like unique spark but now if if i scroll through uh facebook and i see people like older people that i haven't been friends with for a long time just like post a picture of like some hay and then 
there's like a it's like a meme it's like king size bed and they're like merry christmas hope that doesn't offend you yeah i can't even picture what their brain looks like it must be smooth like a marble yeah there's this phenomenon on the internet i don't know if you've been around the internet like i have but there's this thing called memes Uh uh-huh where like it's i'm following you so far (laughs) it's like a it's like a joke format that people iterate on, and just, it fits a bunch of different things. And uh, the thing is, I, people like to say, like, "Oh, I don't, I don't know what I would do without memes. It's such a good thing that memes were created." And the thing is, is like they were always there. Yeah, the, the memes. We just didn't recognize them as such because one, they weren't in a visual format because people would just repeat jokes they heard, mm-hmm. and that would be a meme. So it's like. Oh, you don't like the weather, Sonny? Well, that's what I like about Nebraska. You wait five minutes and it'll change. That was a meme. He was sharing a meme. Yeah, he was memeing. Yeah. In a time before Velociraptor and all the other now defunct formats of memes. I'm not current on my meme game, son. (laughs) Yes. You know, before the age of uh, Tom from Tom and Jerry peeking out from behind a girder making a weird face. Yeah. I remember there was a time when a meme was called an image macro. That was a very brief time on the internet. But luckily for us, a French philosopher came up with a, a phrase or like a term that meant two people having the same idea uh, in the same time in different parts of the world, which he call, called meme. Oh, okay. And then the internet took that and was like, oh yeah, repeated jokes or memes. Yeah, that's not true, but language evolves. And speaking of repeating jokes, this week, our podcast is sponsored by the fresh, crisp taste of Hans Pils. Uh, that's what it's called. German-style Pilsner from Real Ale Brewing Company. Real Ale, Real Ale Brewing Company. We have finished... And it in its entirety, the Torpedo Extra IPA, we will never drink it again. Brewed right here in Austin or New Braunfels. Blanco. Blanco? Blanco. Blanco. Blanco? Blanco. Blanco. It's not that bad. No, it's actually delicious. It's actually crisp and refreshing, like I described. Yeah, it's uh I'd call it a brightly hoppy and flavorful man's other best friend. Oh, because of the small dog on it? Why the why a dog? Dogs are great. I can get into a deep rabbit hole about, like, brewery iconography. Yeah? Let's just blow up some Austin institutions. Okay, so... Like the state... Like the... (laughs) No. John. Let's just blow up some... uh, John, no. Let's blow up some state institutions... Some Austin institutions. Austin area craft breweries. You have, like, your fourth tap... Their, their beer cans are all over the place in terms of their artistic direction. You have your real ales. They're all largely the same, but this little, like, medallion figure where this is a dog, that's yeah. typically different. It's, uh... It, it, th- there's you a, have your uh, Austin Beer Works that just have the same can and different color schemes. Yeah, well, I, I was about to speak to that. Uh, there's this thing in, in, like, Texas brewing where... You'll have a black stripe or a, co- a dark colored stripe across the top of the, of the can that says just the name of the brewing company. And then center on the can is, is the name of the beer. And then there'll be little iconography down the center, like this dog or an Austin Beer Works. It's just like a line mm-hmm. that kind of uh, tees off. Um, 
I don't know why that is. Other than it's a very clean, crisp design, and maybe they went to the same sort of graphic design house to do both of them. It, it might just be like, uh, it might be a meme. Might be a meme. Yeah. Oh, you ever, uh, you were in that classic uh, stand-up from the late 90s to early 2000s, where he's like, you might, you might be a meme. You might be a meme. <laughs> if you're a picture of Kermit the Frog sipping tea, you might be a meme. You might be a meme. <laughs> I I don't remember if he was Southern or if he was Australian. You might buy a mime. You might buy a mime. A mime mime. You might buy a mime mime. John, as we enter this third week of December. Hold on. Sure. Second week of this December is gone. Yeah. Uh, as we enter what can only be described as the holiday times, I think... We would be doing a disservice to the podcast if we didn't speak about holiday traditions. Oh, like what? Well, for instance, did you know that it's a 50-plus-year-old tradition in Sweden to watch a specific Donald Duck cartoon at exactly 3 p.m. on Christmas Eve? Approximately half the country tunes in to watch every year. Wait, it's a specific Donald Duck cartoon? It is it is the a, one where he's a Nazi? It is that one. Oh, no. <laughs> no, was, no. I was very concerned. Uh, it is uh, from all of us to all of you, or as it is known in... Oh, uh, well, that's a different language. Zvergig. Okay, very good. Kali Anke Akhans Vanner Oscar Godjul. Okay, I or, or Donald Duck and his friends wish you a Merry Christmas. Oh, okay. Uh, probably the second one is what I would go with. Oh, well, I decided to read the sweet, the, oh, sorry, the Severge. Yeah, and you said that was, uh, Sweden? I said that was Sweden. Incredible. Hit me with some others. Did you know, this is a really interesting thing that I, I don't have a source for, but I know because I have certain interest. Did you know in Japan... On Christmas Eve, it is it is tradition to go get a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Hold on, what now? In Japan, it is tradition to go out on Christmas Eve and get a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Why? Eh? Wait, you can't just say that. I don't know why. I was going to explain the Donald Duck thing, but you asked for more. Yeah, I, uh, what? I, Look, I, in Japan... <laughs> I can look it up real quick. I didn't realize we were doing that. No, I'm I'm just amazed by it. No, I was looking up a different holiday. Hold on, hold on. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get it down to the bottom of this. This is coming from Business Insider. We have to get down to the bone of this, like the bone of the chicken. Yes. Unless it's boneless, in which case you ate the bones. Uh, KFC has become a Christmas tradition in Japan. This is largely thanks to Takeshi. Oko, oh, oh man, I was doing so good with Takeshi. I was doing <laughs> really so nailed, good. You really knocked Takeshi out of the park. Takeshi Okar, Okawara. Nice. Okawara. Uh-huh. Takeshi Okawara. Who <laughs> <laughs> managed the first KFC restaurant in Japan. Is there like a thing I could practice foreign names? <laughs> uh, I guess just read Takeshi Okawara <laughs> over and over again. These days, Japanese people could end up waiting in long lines if they don't pre-order their Christmas meals from KFC. Oh my god, they have to have the pre-order slip, or else they won't get their KFC in the steel bookcase. <laughs> Over the last four decades, KFC has managed to make fried chicken synonymous with Christmas and the country. 
An estimated 3.6 million Japanese families eat KFC during the Christmas season, reported the BBC. Millions of people weather long lines to order fried chicken weeks in advance to carry on the tradition. It was just a marketing thing. Oh, yeah, I figured. Yeah. Uh, I have another tradition that I'd like to tell you about. Well, is it bird-related? Because so far we got Donald Duck and fried chicken. It is unfortunately not bird-related. The theme has been broken. Now, uh, I don't know if this one takes place in the holidays, but it is a holiday that I recently learned about dating back to, I think, the 1500s. Oh, right around the time that... uh... The Spanish Armada was defeated. What do you want from me? Now, uh, let's just assume this takes place during Christmas, because why the fuck not? Uh, have you ever heard of Georgia? Country or state? Country. Oh, okay. Have you ever heard of Gory, Georgia? Is Gory spelled G-O-R-Y? It's G-O-R-I. Okay. Gory, Georgia? No. Maybe you might know Gory, Georgia's most famous son, one Stalin. As in the Russian man? Yes, the Russian man Stalin. Now, Gory has a holiday that I was reading about because I've been reading about the life and times of young Stalin. Gory is a city in Georgia. It is. All right. Now I'm on the same page. Now, Gory has a... Uh, had... Stalin wasn't Russia? He wasn't Russian? No, he was born in Georgia. And he ruled over Russia? Yeah. Oh, oh dude. Oh. Read about Stalin's life. Read about his hundreds of bank robberies. Stalin, Stalin, early Stalin's life ruled. Some people could argue late Stalin's life kind of ruled, but not in like a cool way. A new holiday tradition for Henry, reading about <laughs> Stalin on December 18th. It is not, 17. it is not a bad tradition to get into. Uh, unless, uh, it's fine. Uh, but if you know anything about Gory, Georgia, you know that they had an annual holiday. That, uh, I don't know why this was the case. I think that Gory was like a military training village. Okay. Now, have you ever heard of a little movie called The Purge? Yes. We, not only have I heard about it, but John, we've talked about it at length multiple times on this podcast. One day out of every year in Gory, Georgia, apparently dating back to the 1500s, there would be one day where all fighting is legal. <laughs> Okay, so fighting. Yes. Not like murder. People would die. But it, it was as a result of fighting. Yes. Not just like planned assassinations. All fighting would become legal. Now you might say... This sounds like a town from that movie with the, with the arm wrestling. Uh, over the top. Over the top. Now, you might be saying to yourself, in a town where all fighting is legal for one day who says what goes and what doesn't go the boxers clearly what goes and doesn't go is the purview solely of drunken priests <laughs> amazing a few priests in gory georgia would get rip roaring drunk and i guess i don't know put on special hats to donate to denote that they were priests and they <laughs> don't would punch me i'm a priest and i'm drunk they would be the referees and uh, the book that I'm reading, Young Stalin by, forget the author's name, uh, says that anyone who had to dispute during the fights would grab a drunken priest to consult with them on who was in the wrong. Interesting. So that's my favorite holiday tradition, assuming it happened around the holidays. There's no way to tell. Impossible. What's your next bird fact? Oh, they weren't all related to birds. The theme has died. The theme has died. 
I don't know. A lot of... So, those were the two... Okay, I only had the Swedish one prepared, and the Japanese one was off the dome. So, very quickly, I googled, like, <laughs> worldwide holiday traditions. And, man, I don't want to, like, shit on anybody's holiday traditions, but we were going for, like, not boring ones. Yeah. Here's the problem with holidays. <laughs> Every holiday initially started as, like, one caveman ate a cat one time yeah and that's why every year we set someone on fire on this day but everything gets dumbed down to a point where that holiday where that caveman ate a cat is like this is the holiday tradition where you bring a hot loaf of bread to your grandmother's hearth yeah they suck you know what sucks almost every tradition after halloween times well i was about to say like as far as worldwide, like, holiday traditions go, I think the Hispanic culture's Day of the Dead has it, like, per, that's, that's, that's your standard. That's, yeah. that's setting the bar for holiday traditions. Like, you, you make a path of leaves so that the dead can visit your home. You, you put up your ofrenda so you can, you, the, the dead can be remembered and cross the leaf bridge. Mm-hmm. I'm just referencing Coco. I hope that was accurate. Yeah. But you put out sweets for the skeletons to eat and all this. It you is steal me- a guitar from the, <laughs> from the tomb of a famous guy. It's pretty metal as fuck. Yeah. And like, that's what we should aim for for our holiday traditions. And I, I just want to say, we belong to an English speaking culture that has a very famous ghost story told around Christmas, uh, a Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens that that has multiple ghosts in it, and uh, there's been reditions of it. I think FX is putting on a new one this year because why the fuck not? Is it FX or FXX? I don't. It's not the comedy one. Okay, so it's FX. Okay, just FX. All serious business on FX. Very serious. Christmas is a humbug. Christmas. Oh, it is the humbiest of bugs. But how? And this this goes back to like Victorian era era times. Like this has been around for a couple hundred years. How the hell do we not like worship a ghost on Christmas somehow? Or like, oh, we got to put the chains up so Jacob Marley can find his way to to fucking eat the rich. Like, yeah. How do we <laughs> look? Even some people's like Santa Clauses get it right. Oh yeah, the Germans with their. Uh, their 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 bandersnatch no um the the crumb dumb no Krampus um, Krampus Krampus but there's a night for it like it, it happened recently Krampus knocked Krampus knocked where he comes and kidnaps the bad children yeah he kicks them puts them in chains and kidnaps them and then they're in chains and so Jacob Marley can find them yes every year Jacob Marley has to free the German kids now I. I just think that if you're going to do a holiday, aim weird with it. Yeah, why but, not? But you and I are part of a tradition and a culture where holidays are pretty fucking tame. Especially Christmas. I, okay. I don't have a great relationship with Christmas because once I got out of like early stages of like consumerist stuff and I got into like my teens, uh, Christmas became much less of a big deal with my family. We never had a ton of money. Uh, and like, I never had a ton of enjoyment, like spending time with my family because my family relationship's not great. Uh, but now that I'm like kind of settled, I'm starting to like get back into the Christmas thing because there's a, a warm niceness to it. But God, I wish it was a little weirder. I know. Like, there have been attempts, you know, there was the nightmare before Christmas, which is like, 
Let's give let's let's give goth kids something to celebrate around this time of year. But I, I want I need something to 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 perk me up because likewise, uh, when Christmas rolls around, I don't get excited. I don't feel that warm feeling that every Christmas movie kind of like mandates that people around Christmas feel. Yeah, like my family's fine. We've been through rough stuff. Mm-hmm. We're probably better now than what we were. And even just divorced from them, I just get sad at Christmas. I don't know what I, what that's about. I've got Christmas affective disorder. It's your cad. I've got, I've got Chad. Chad. The ancient Christmas is super pronounceable. Yeah. Uh, and I've got, uh, the, uh, the Christmas virgin. Yeah. Um, Chav. Chav. No, the Christmas Virgin and the Christmas Chad. Oh, gotcha. The, the, yeah. yeah. That meme. Yeah, that meme. <laughs> Two people had the same idea. Oh, no. Oh, God. The waveform disappeared. Oh, no, it's fine. Uh, it's a Christmas ghost trying to, like, sneak its way into our podcast to be like, But Henry, what if I showed you your past? What about me? You know, I, I dare say that A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens is a much... More like commercially viable, dynamic, and interesting Christmas story than anything that Christmas is about currently. How can we show this, this versions of this movie every year? I mean, you got the Disney version, you got the Muppet version, you got the one with Sir Patrick Stewart, which is phenomenal. But the, the end message for a Christmas carol is the same every year. If you're like a miserly rich dude who doesn't share their wealth, you're gonna die alone. Oh, I think Forgotten. I think, I think I figured out why that isn't indelibly part of the American consciousness. <laughs> yeah, so so it's I mean we we perpetrate we perpetrate we we it goes forward in perpetuity. Yeah, perpetuity, perpetuity, <laughs> what is, perpetuate. Yeah. Oh my God, it's not a good talking night. I, I apologize, but we perpetuate the story year after year, and all of its different renditions. There's musical versions of it, what have you. But somehow the message doesn't, because maybe the message is only consumed by the masses and it's not consumed by the people who don't pay taxes. Yeah. I need Lin Wem Badan Mananda uh-huh. to do a version of the Christmas Carol that's insanely popular, and so the rich see it because oh, just like how only the rich saw Hamilton, only the rich could see Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so the rich will go see it, and then and then they'll learn. That they need to pay taxes. That would be great. It's got to start with like a, a weird conglomerate of every rich person. So it's going to be like uh, the the composite of 50 old white men and, and like maybe two women. Yes. <laughs> and they're going to learn all these life lessons about giving money and, and wealth distribution. Ebenezer and the, Bezos. Ebenezer Bezos. And uh, the, the Ghost of Christmas Future is just a Bernie Sanders impersonator going... You need to give 80% of your wealth. I was just trying to find a way to do it. <laughs> uh, the, the Bernie Sanders Ghost of Christmas Future is like, This is your gravestone. This is here to imply that you have died in the future in a memento mori kind of way. Yeah. You will die. Uh, you will, And people will take from you. And you will not die surrounded by anyone. Anyway, I'm Bernie Sanders. We're going to go back and you're going to learn a lesson. <laughs> you know what's crazy? How many different versions of A Christmas Carol have you seen, like, growing up? Probably, like, a dozen. So, the one that sticks with me the most is the Disney one with, like, Mickey Mouse and uh, Scrooge McDuck as Ebenezer Scrooge. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
the weird one in that is the ghost of Christmas Future shows up, and Ebenezer Scrooge is like, whose grave is this? And then, you know, the whole scene plays out. But it it doesn't touch on what the what the the actual story touches on. It just leaves it at oh, that's your grave and you're going to die. Oh, it doesn't do the part where the where, estate is being divvied up. Yeah, by, where, where he's being like torn apart by by yeah yeah. Um, so that it always left me a, a weird taste in my mouth that it's like oh no if you're if you're a if you're not, if you're not a good person you're going to die which is gonna happen anyway <laughs> so. I think the, the the moral of the Disney one is, like, get it while you can? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, be rich until you die. <laughs> uh, which, I mean, Disney has followed to a T. He didn't die. He didn't die. No, he he uh, he, he, he merged with Snow White. <laughs> he did. Uh, then they became more powerful than ever. Uh, here's a quick question. I know that you already basically answered this. What's up? But if you could rewrite Christmas... Oh, so that all of our feelings, holiday traditions are still largely the same. Presence, togetherness, whatever the fuck. Yeah. But if you could put all of our Christmas traditions and our worship of Christmas and basically all of our ideals of Christmas, if it could, instead of what it's about right now, whatever that is, be about one movie or book. Oh, okay. The Christmas movie or book, Knives Christmas out. time, <laughs> Christmas time movie or book, what would it be? Because I can tell you mine first. Uh, well, okay. I want our Christmas. Forget Lord and Savior Jesus Let's Christ. Let's say it at the same time. Okay. Three, Three two, two, one. Frozen. Home Alone. Fuck. Mine would be Frozen. <laughs> the original. The original. You know, throw Frozen two in there as well. It's not a Christmas movie. Frozen is. It is? A hundred percent. Look at all these Olafs. It's Christmas time. Hold on. Wait. Back up. If we're talking Christmas time, gotta be Die Hard. But you said, you're the one, oh, when you said movie or book, you didn't mean Christmas movie or book? I think you said I, Christmas I, I, movie Christmas or time. book. Christmas time. Christmas time is what I said. So it's, Die Hard? Yeah, Die Hard takes place over Christmas. I know, John, if anyone knows that Die Hard takes place in Christmas... It's me. I know. <laughs> I was the there. The first two. I was there at Nakatomi Plaza. The first two diehards both happen around Christmas. The first one, the nightmare is uh, capitalism. The second one, the nightmare is air travel. Well, and also bad sequels, but let's not touch it. Yeah. Die Hard 3 was good, though. Never saw it. It's in the summer. Uh, no Die Hard. I would, everyone gets a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. Uh, everyone has to run to the Christmas tree Shoot. with bare feet over broken glass. Shoot the glass. <laughs> I, uh... Oh, it's so good. Everyone gets to repeat that factoid about, uh, um... Alan Rickman, where they told him they were to drop him on Never three, yet. and they dropped him on two instead. I, uh, pretty much every time I watch that movie with someone I haven't watched it with before, someone always go During that scene, they're like, hey, did you know? I'm like, yeah... Yeah, yeah no. we we all know. Yeah, I've seen Die Hard with an uninsufferable person before. <laughs> yeah. By the way, my name's John. Apparently, yeah, we, we didn't know each other. Yeah, no, I uh, every single time. Yeah, it's so in, it's so in the consciousness. I don't know that I could stop myself from telling that factoid. I think it's mandatory that upon a viewing of Die Hard, one person in the room has to say it. Or else Hans Gruber will rob you. This is the traditions we start. This is the tradition. Perfect. Hans Gruber is the Scroober. I mean the Scrooge. The Grinch. 
No, he's the Scroober. <laughs> he's the Scroober. Hans Gruber is the Krampus. He's the Krampus. He's oh. gonna steal your Nakatomi Plaza. Gruber knocked. Gruber knocked. Anyway, what's yours? <sighs> all right. So growing up, I've you know I've seen them all. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Uh, Tana Claus is coming to town, which is a that's a movie my wife insists exists. Yeah, but I have never seen. Oh, it, the puppets. Uh, the, the claymation? Yeah. Doesn't exist. Oh, totally does. Makes I, it Christmas okay. in July. Here's my answer, because my answer is the right one. The Year Without a Santa Claus is hands down the best Christmas movie there ever was. Is that the one where Santa Claus dies? It is the one, not the Santa Claus. Yeah, no. That Tim is, Allen. No, no, no. That's not the one All where the- Santa Claus dies. That is the one where Santa Claus is murdered by <laughs> Tim Allen, who then, by the transitive property of Santa Claus, must become... Oh, quick aside. <laughs> can we start... Yeah, can we talk about how the Santa Claus sets up the Chronicles of Riddick rules? Yes, it really does. You keep what you kill. You keep what you kill. And in this case, you keep Santa Claus. Number one, two things I want to say. The first, the Santa Claus. Because we get Disney+. It's a fucked up movie. We have Disney+, and Allison is showing me all the movies that I've never seen. That the Walt Disney Corporation is responsible for. Watch the first Toy Story last night. Holds up. Doesn't look good, but it's... Doesn't it kind of look like early PlayStation graphics now? It looks bad. Yeah. Uh, But it holds up and comedic timing is still good. But... Also as to Mountain. The original The Santa Claus is a horror movie. If you recut that movie to be a horror movie, it's a dude who is turning into Santa Claus against his... Well, there's a scene where he grows a big white beard in a mirror and screams and tries to tug it off. Yeah. Uh, Also, he tries to remove his beard. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's a dumb joke. All right. Anyway, my other The Santa Claus thing. Have you seen The Santa Claus 2? Yeah. He makes a toy version of himself. Yeah. It's a toy version of himself that turns into a Nazi. Yeah. The Santa Claus 2 has hardcore fascist imagery in it. These movies are nuts. One of the biggest betrayals of my childhood uh, was the, the Santa Claus 3, The Escape Clause, which uh, details how he could get out of it decades after it's way too late it's like wait a second you can't introduce this now it's way too late sorry martin short i have not seen the third one don't skip it you know people said the same thing with the santa claus too anyway i'm just saying run don't walk to watch the santa claus too all right so i've got another answer but uh, (laughs) circling back to my first answer uh the year of santa it's it's a santa it goes missing it's the same claymation style as both uh, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Like, it's the same studio. Uh-huh. But they introduced two fantastical people. Heat Miser. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. And uh, the Frozen guy, who I don't remember. Oh, Cold Miser. Cold Master. I don't yeah. know. But no, I, I want to live in a world where Santa's got competition. Where there's there's other deities that we could choose to like worship. Like there's the Santa faction, there's the Heat Miser faction, there's Cold Dude, Cold Dude, Cold Dude faction. You got it. People who follow Cold Dude would know his name. Yeah, I'm under Heat Miser. I uh, I'm Mister Heat Miser. No, I I totally think uh, competing deities makes so much sense for Christmas. Bring back the Pantheon. Now, are you familiar, to run this by you, are you familiar with a little movie called The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus? No. 
Uh, Does that I, introduce Heat Miser and Cold Dude? No, but I would like oh. to, uh, if you're talking about other deities, I would like to uh, posit this one as a potential alternate to the year without a Santa Claus. Okay. Uh, because if you've never heard of the life and adventures of Santa Claus, let me just read the setup for this movie off of Wikipedia. I want you to follow me here. I, I'm going to. I'm listening. Long ago in the forest of Bursey, a council meeting is held where the great Ack tells the story of Santa Claus to the leaders of the Immortals, hoping to persuade them to grant Claus immortality through the mantle of immortality. About 60 years earlier, the great Ack finds an abandoned baby in the snowy woods on the border of the forest. He gives it to the lioness Shigra to raise. Shigra. However, after hearing about the discovery of the infant, Nasil, the wood nymph, steals him from Shigra and goes to the great Ack, begging him to let her raise the child. After initial concern that was that a human was brought into the forest, which is against the law, the great Ack allows Nasil to raise the child while Shigra stays to protect him. Nasil names the child Claus. Oh. It is people debating and putting Santa Claus on trial for his immortality. Demigods in the forest of Bursey. Is there a picture with that article? I want to I look at it to, to see... To see the... Uh, if I'm familiar with it. This is the box art. No. It's a young Santa I, Claus. I, I, I do not. I yeah. do not. It's, it's genuinely good. That sounds pretty neat. It's like I like the, I like when like demigods deities like they they get together and just fight with each other because yeah. that's more interesting than putting a tree up yeah and covering it with tinsel and like oh presents up here because the only immortal we know of decides to give presents once a year. I feel like if there's one immortal, there's got to be more. There's no conflict, and the conflict is the seed of a great story. Anyway, you said you had an alternate answer. I have an alternate answer. Uh, are you, are you, are you, John, have you ever seen the 1998 cult classic, Jack Frost? Uh, the horror movie or the... the Not the horror movie. Okay, the, what's his name? Something Keaton. Michael, Michael Keaton. Keaton, yeah. Um, this is, this is... Can I just read the synopsis to this movie? Uh, yes, please. As a touring musician clinging to dreams of stardom, aging rocker Jack Frost, Michael Keaton, <laughs> never had much time for his wife, Gabby, Kelly Preston, and young son Charlie, Joseph Cross. A year after Jack's tragic death in a car accident <laughs> on Christmas Day, Charlie plays a mournful tune on his father's harmonica. Much to his surprise, the Elder Frost is magically brought to life as a snowman on the family lawn. Jesus Christ. Given a second chance, Charlie and Jack struggle to make up for lost time. Cats in the cradle, please. That's uh, incredible. Now, I want to live in a world where if I fuck up my whole shit... Yes. <laughs> there is a chance that my son or daughter will play a song on my harmonica. Yes. And that will bring me back to life in the form of an elemental, be it snowman, a crackling fire, or any other of the uh, holiday time elemental things. A cold wind. Some mistletoe. Some Yeah, j just the weird fruity part of a mistletoe. <laughs> yeah. Now that's uh this is a real fact. I saw both 
the horror movie Jack Frost and the family-friendly movie Jack Frost in a similar time frame when I was about 10 years old. The Michael Keaton Jack Frost gave me 10 times more nightmares. Was it the the uh, the anthropomorphic snowman? The, it was his kind face that, <laughs> real, that really fucked me up. Uh, there's a very fun thread that happened very recently on Twitter with uh, Paul F. Tompkins. Oh! Paul F. Tompkins is friend in... Friend of the show? Friend of the show, Paul F. Tompkins, was in Jack Frost. He had one line. That line was cut. <laughs> <laughs> So for a second, you can see Paul F. Tompkins in a bar, and uh, Michael Keaton talks to someone next to him, and he was going to have a line that, like, repeat, like, rebuttaled, and he pitched a line, and Michael Keaton goes, what the fuck? (laughs) And so it got cut from the movie, poor Paul F. Tompkins, that's my factoid about Jack Frost. So it's a lot like There Will Be Blood, but Paul Tompkins remained in that movie. Oh, does he play the killer? He's in the little council thing where Daniel Plainview gets all mad. I'm thinking of No Country for Old Men. Eh, they're movies that are loved by a certain kind of person. What's the one with the milkshake? That's the one I didn't see. That's the one I'm talking about. I didn't see that There Will Be Blood. I didn't see it. No Country for Old Blood. Amy Sedaris. Yeah, she's great. She's in uh, The Mandalorian. Yeah, she is. How much more did you want to talk about Christmas? Here's the thing about Christmas, John. We're never really... Hey, wait. Holiday time. Yeah. Holiday time. I never said Christmas. Yeah. How much more do we want to talk about holiday time? I guess not much more. I just want... I want it to be cooler, you know? Yeah. Okay. I'll end us... We'll we'll end on this note. A family guy had a joke. One joke. Maybe in their Christmas episode where there was a, a special... That aired on television called Kiss Saves Santa. Mm-hmm. Maybe, 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 maybe the world is ready to, for like a cooler take on Christmas. You oh, know? you mean like the chain smokers save Santa? No, I was thinking like 21 pilots. 21 pilots save Santa? So two guys? I thought there were 21. I thought there were 21 of them. I really hate to break it to you this way. Oh my god. There's only two of them. Wait, hold on. Did you think that, um... Three Doors Down, I thought they they lived Three Doors Down for me. Three Dog Night, I thought there were three dogs and a... Yeah. Do you think Cat Stevens was a cat? She's not? He? Oh. (laughs) You're thinking of Cat Power. I'm thinking of Pat Benatar. Oh, okay. Stevie Cat Benatar. Stevie Nicks. Cat Bennett's haired, yeah. Of Fleet Macwood. (laughs) All right. I just, you know, the capitalists have had, they have everything. Mm -hmm. Give me cool Christmas. Do another type of nightmare before Christmas. Make Christmas cool again. Yeah. Make Christmas cool again. I want Santa in a leather jacket on a sweet ass hog. <laughs> 30 to 40 feral sweet ass yeah. hogs. Yeah, he wants to be on 30 to 40 sweet ass hogs. <laughs> tugging it off. <laughs> tugging it off. Uh, the beard. The beard. The beard. Because that, that's clearly that's the problem with Santa. <laughs> yes. Remove the beard. Santa gets a lot cooler. Santa's got a lot of interesting shit going on under that beard. Oh, does he? He's a got chin? Ta- he's got tattoos. Oh, yeah. The bottom tattoos of middle fingers. Yeah. Interlocking <laughs> into a beard. Yeah. In- into a point. Yeah. And that point has a frowny face on it. And you can't ask him about it, because if you ask him about it, he'll straight up kill you. You know what the... Or turn you into a snowman, and so you can reconnect with your son. Yeah. What the, the greatest gift. And if you have no son, 
I guess, do your taxes. <laughs> you get to, he'll bring you back for one night to file your taxes. You're just a, a snowman sweating over a pile of 1099s. <laughs> Because the real gift isn't uh, doesn't happen on December twenty fifth. <laughs> it happens on April fifteenth. Yeah. April fifth. That's move move Christmas to tax time. Look, all of our other holidays are based on the positions of the moon, and so is tax time. It is. It's when it's when the moon is in its most actuarial. Yeah. Now I had a perfect segue earlier. Yeah. So let's circle back and pretend like we didn't do that bullshit for the past ten minutes. Now, the perfect segue was you mentioning Amy Sedaris. Amy Sedaris. She plays a cat. In uh, BoJack? Yeah. And everything else, too. Now, I mentioned she was in The Mandalorian. That's a show on Disney Plus, who we're not sponsored by. Unfortunately, we are not sponsored by Disney Plus. Uh, now, I wanted to talk about The Mandalorian, because I, I think maybe I talked about it previously... On this show, cut the clip of me talking a lot about the Mandalorian uh, here and clip. That's a little treat for me to edit in later. Man, I wish we had an editor. <laughs> that would be really nice. Uh, just imagine it. But uh, there's kind of two things I want to talk about with the Mandalorian. Uh, both pretty... Eh, I'll go with the one that probably has the least going on first. How do you feel about... And this is something that I'm remiss to discuss because I feel like it could feed further into the perception that I'm as what some people might call a curmudgeon. You hate it? The Mandalorian? You hate the Mandalorian. No, I love it. You come to me on the day of my podcast and tell me you hate the Mandalorian? Now, God, do I really want to talk about this? This is something that's so ingrained in the zeitgeist in popular culture. Just say it. I don't like Baby Yoda. Not no. as a character, and I think he makes total sense in the show, and I love that it's a puppet, and it's great. Yeah. Every... I can't couch well, this enough. Well, let's pause this, because yeah, the, the zeitgeist has really eaten up Baby Yoda to the point where it's like, Disney is like, don't worry, the merchandise is coming soon. It's kind of like, how did you not see this coming? Yeah. But so yeah, the the internet has has eaten up Baby Yoda to the point where like they were posting gifts too early. Yeah, and Disney was like axing gifts because they were like copyright, which is not a thing. Ridiculous. So I want to hear. I do. I want. I'm interested in your take. Why do you not like Baby Yoda? Because I I feel like number one, anything that reaches a level of like total cultural saturation, I start to get repulsed by almost immediately. Uh, but that's because I feel like when something, especially something that's from a creative work, reaches a point of like total saturation, the actual meaning of that thing starts to get lost and it becomes kind of like a shibboleth, like it becomes like a, becomes like a totem. Yeah. And it stops being the thing it was and starts being part of the capital C culture. Well, it's kind of like it stops. To get into a little deconstructionism, it stops being itself and starts becoming a signifier of something. Yeah, that, that's exactly what it is. And I feel like we took something that, at the end of that first episode, I didn't have like a huge reaction to, oh, there's a baby Yoda, because I wasn't 100% sold on the show. I thought it was oh. cool, but it didn't like blow my mind. You were totally. supposed to 100% have your mind blown by the baby Yoda. I'm in such a protective place, defensive place about Star Wars right now that I'm very 
uh, skeptical about everything. But I mean, in hindsight, great reveal, huge deal. Like I watched the the episode the second time and got chills. But that's because my guard was down. We've only seen two of that species. There's Yoda and then there's the other one, the lady one. Yaddle. Yaddle? Yeah. There's a Yoda and a Yaddle. We've only seen two of them. Yeah, this whole time. So it's a huge deal. Yeah. And I worry because it's it's something that's like reached such saturation in popular culture that every time I see it, I just increasingly kind of disconnect from it. And also, the, the tough thing about it is part of the charge that you get from watching something like a lone wolf and cub or or anything where the the key conceit is this thing is precious and soft and easily harmable it's fragile yeah like one of the most compelling character dynamics you can create is to create a a character that is unstoppable but have him in the care like taking care of something that's fragile because then you have like yeah you're not you're not afraid of like the Mandalorian being able to handle himself in a fight, but you are afraid of his ability to protect this thing you care about and you have sympathy for. Typically, it's like a child or a pet. Yeah. And with it being, like, so huge in the culture and it becoming, like, such a huge thing, I know they're never going to, like, put a bullet in Baby Yoda's head in an episode of The Mandalorian, but you start to feel like it's stopping to feel to me as if it's a character holding a character and more like it's a character holding a symbol. Yeah. Like the Mandalorian is now carrying around a meme and it's starting to like take me out of the fiction in a really uh, unpleasant way because I like that show a lot. It's very interesting because, there, there, I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a moment in a, a very recent episode, an episode's going to drop uh, in between now and when this this comes out, because the next episode drops on Wednesday for some reason. What? Yeah, the next episode drops tomorrow for no reason. Why? I don't know. Why? But this an, ruins my whole week. In a recent episode, there was like a moment where you think, "Oh no, Baby Yoda!" And then, of course, yeah, stuff happens, and Baby Yoda's not in danger. And that can you can only do that so many times before it's like, okay, either kill him or don't. Yeah, I don't, I'm not. You're not. You're not fooling anybody we've seen what baby yoda can do yeah it you know i mean i mean if, if, my thing is if the mandalorian and his if this, if this is 100 percent just going to be a, a, a lone wolf and cub scenario with you know the mandalorian and baby yoda throughout the entire series then i'm kind of the premise is already sort of wearing thin yeah uh because like there's the immediate danger and the immediate situation drew everybody in. People thought, oh, this is going to be like this big, huge thing. And then you backed off and made it, oh, no, we were doing an episodic Western the entire time. Yeah. The first few episodes had just more connective tissue than uh, a typical Western would. Mm -hmm. And so now that we're in the episodic thing, it's like, all right, you got Baby Yoda. And maybe Baby Yoda will have significant moments. But now I'm more focused on the Mandalorian's journey. I want to know what happens with him. He he's he's been he's kind of like exiled from his people. His people had to find a new ground to return to. I'm caught up in that culture. Yeah. Cuz the 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 introduction I I I know nothing about Mandalorian culture. I I I am a purist in that I think uh only movies count. 
I mean, you're you're not terribly alone in not knowing anything about Mandalorians because for the most part, Mandalorian lore, the Mandalore, <laughs> uh, is has largely been stricken from the record. What has existed has existed in like cartoons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a little bit in the movies, but like Mandalorian history is something that has a ton of room to be fleshed out. So there's not a lot to know. I even tried to look it up because like there, there were things like, uh, you know, oh, no weapons and like, oh, weapons are part of my religion. And I was like, oh, I want to know about, this is a religion. I want to, I want to learn about it. I want to know about it Mm -hmm. because religion so rarely comes up in Star Wars other than when they call the Jedi a religion for no reason. Yeah. Never comes up again. It, it came, comes up, weirdly enough, in The Last Jedi. When? Mark Hamill calls oh, it a religion. Yeah, you're Mark right, Hamill. You're right. Luke yeah. calls it a religion again. So, yeah, the the official is A New Hope, and then The Last Jedi. The only two <laughs> canonical... <laughs> and they're the best ones. References, <laughs> references to Jediism They're the best, least problematic ones. What can I say? But I, I want to know, like, how can a religion persist in what is basically a hopeless, desolate like, form of existence that is it, the brutalism that is Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And so I went to look it up, and I went to, like, Wikipedia and all these other places, and they've got nothing, John. Yeah. Because, There's nothing there. Because the history that is canon and not uh, expanded universe, or legends, as they call it. Legends. Uh, the the history as it exists is it it's non-existent right now. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's a shame. So, I, I'm caught up with the character of the, of the Mandalorian, and I'm mm-hmm. following him, and then it seems like, oh, okay, Baby Yoda's here too. Yeah. And Baby Yoda's cute. Yeah. Baby like, Yoda had a whole thing. Drop him off at Baby Yoda daycare, and let's get on with our day. Yeah, because, like, at this point, let's just talk about the most recent episode of The Mandalorian, because, and, okay. and this is something that's maybe a bigger part of a conversation, is that... I feel like the rise of spoiler culture or anti-spoiler culture is largely... You could trace it almost perfectly to the rise of prestige, serial, linear television. Yeah, like stuff that's worth watching? Like Lost. Okay. Like when, when television series started to be long, interconnected, interdependent stories, that's when spoiling television became a bigger deal. Because you could spoil a thing that happens in Lost and spoil a season. Yeah. Because you'd be building towards something. Whereas something like The Mandalorian, uh, television used to be much simpler. A lot of it was was serial, disjointed television. Yeah. Where it's telling a larger story through a series of pretty discreet vignettes. So, you know, the first two episodes of a season and the first, last two episodes of a season might have some connective tissue. Maybe you've got the mid-season sort of stinger yeah. before they go on, like, hiatus for, like, two weeks. But largely, it was the episodic cop drama and, like, oh, you might find out who killed the cop's mom. Yeah. And the season finale. And that was the big spoiler thing, but week to week, it's like, oh, yeah, the druggie did it. Yeah, that, didn't, like, that didn't really ruin much. And, and that's why it's very difficult to spoil a show like The Mandalorian. And why I think The Mandalorian is like such a cool return to form. Return to a form. Not to say that the previous form was better than what we have now. But return to a form of television where you can talk about specific episodes of it without spoiling everything. Like, yeah. I could tell you interesting, cool, beautiful things about this most recent episode that have nothing to do with the interesting, cool, beautiful things that happened in the previous episode. What? You don't... What? There's a... There's a Twi'lek. There's a Twi'lek. Two Twi'leks. 
There are two Twi'leks. Uh, now, the the thing with this most recent episode is this is the point where I started to... Now I'm 100% like drinking the Mandalorian Kool-Aid. I very much like this show. I love that they keep it practical wherever possible. It feels like I'm watching Star Wars. It really feels like I'm watching Star Wars, which is... I went back and looked at... So I watched a video today on my break at work. You know, a 37-minute video where an archivist from uh, LucasArts, LucasFilm, talks about every Stormtrooper armor. You know, normal things you use your entire break for. And I was watching that, and they showed clips from, like, episode two, where people, like, clone troopers, were just CGI. Oh, that's like, sad. Like, the clone troopers were just CGI, and they would, like, map people's faces, but they looked incredibly fake. That's sad. Well, like, once they pointed it out to you? No, like, I have not seen um, episode two in years. Well, you shouldn't. No. I mean, last time I saw it... Uh, somebody does a really good fan edit, and it's, it's like I think they're all on YouTube, and uh, they basically remove all the bad parts, which is to say, Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting to me to look at those things and be like, oh, like when Star Wars goes CGI, it ages badly. It but does. Yeah. Practical stays good because practical is just like look at those fucking head tentacles; those are prosthetics. Yeah. No matter how far into the future we go, we're gonna be like, people made those; they look good. And even when, like, you could tell how they do it, uh, we're still fascinated by how they did it. Yeah, I mean, we still go to plays where people have facial appliances. We're not like, oh, that guy, like, actually has horns. We're like, someone made those horns. They look cool. One of the most fascinating things is how Buster Keaton did half the things he did. Yeah. With the technology that he had. And, like, just putting, digitally putting in, like, a pit, whereas Buster Keaton used, like, a, a painted frame of a pit put in front of where he was standing. I, I, I kind of like the artistic endeavor of doing it by hand better than computer. I mean, look at uh, Tremors. Tremors is a movie... Never that, saw it. Uh, Tremors is ageless. It is almost all practical. The giant worm creatures are practical effects. So it's a movie that is, in effect, timeless. But I don't want to like get on a weird like tangent about practical effects. In That's tangent. one of the reasons why watching The Mandalorian makes me feel like I'm watching Star Wars. There was a uh, a thing that came out recently. They, they didn't have enough of the armor, of the Stormtrooper armor, for one of the episodes or some of the episodes they wanted to uh, film. So they literally called on the 501st. Yeah. The, the, the charity slash fan enthusiast group that uh, they dress up as Stormtroopers of various types. My English teacher in high school was a TIE bomber, mm -hmm. uh, and they've, they've got, like, pieces of armor that they've collected over years to, like, do the full regalia, and they and they got to be in the Mandalorian because they wanted to go all practical. Yeah. And, I mean, also the 501st, very cool. They've actually, some people have replicated the press form plastic molds that they used for original Stormtrooper stuff. Very cool. Yeah, it's it's... I love everything they do. Of the things in Star Wars, if you would ask me what I would want to dress up as, I always liked the Stormtroopers. A very unfortunate name. I would I would but recommend... Like, the look of the Stormtrooper was always so cool. Yeah. They were the coolest looking things. And yeah, okay, no Stormtroopers ever wielded a lightsaber... But they've got those cool plasma cutter axes. Someone in Stormtrooper armor. No. A Stormtrooper is absolutely wielded a lightsaber. Name one. Finn. 
People don't like Finn. He's a stormtrooper, and he had a lightsaber. He wasn't very good with it anyway. He ditched his armor. Listen, it's fine. No! The coolest look in all of Star Wars. The coolest part about being a stormtrooper is the armor. Uh, the coolest look in all of Star Wars history is someone who is a, who is wearing stormtrooper armor but does not have the helmet on and maybe has a cape. Coolest look. Okay. Unimpeachable. Uh, alright, so back to this most recent episode of Star Wars. You could go on for eons about the beautiful yes. things about it. Let's do that. But I'm just saying... Let's go on eons about the beautiful things of this most recent episode. Yeah, so in, in speaking about the most recent episode, there was a point that was made by uh, someone on another podcast that shan't be named because we can't... Uh, well, if you're gonna if you're gonna use their work, I would I would be happy if you... Would give them credit. Anyway, listen to Pod Damn America. Never uh, heard of it. One of the hosts of it tweeted that uh, Bill Burr's accent uh, indicates that there's yes. some kind of space Boston. Yeah. Uh, however, uh, the thing that I was going to say about this episode as it relates to the Baby Yoda Troubles, the BYT. BYT. Uh, as it relates to the... BYT. Oh, yeah, country's tastiest yogurt. Yes. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter which country. It's just the... It's just country's tastiest yeah, yogurt. Yeah, BYT, country's tastiest yogurt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, but... There's a store that's like TC... TCBY, this can't be yogurt. Um... <laughs> People say that the country's best yogurt, it really means this can't be yogurt. That's what it used to stand for. And no one can fucking tell me this can't be yogurt. <laughs> the Yoda the Yoda troubles. Yes. The baby Yoda troubles. The baby Yoda troubles. Let's uh, go. So everything that happened in this episode made me fascinated about the character of the Mandalorian and its history. Yeah. And this is when I started to feel as though it was a little bit formulaic, which is why I said I'm drinking the Mandalorian Kool-Aid. But when I'm like, oh, so this is the part of the episode where Baby Yoda's in peril. Uh, and once that resolves, it does like a soft resolve throughout the episode and then it's over. But at, at one point I was like, yeah, this feels a, a little formulaic, even though this most recent episode of the Mandalorian, probably one of my favorites. It was very fun. Because they... They did something, and this is another thing that I wanted to say in terms of, like, how the Mandalorian can succeed as a serial... It's serial and linear, but it's, like, not hyper-connected uh, show, is that it does, like, a almost like an Avatar of the Last Airbender, almost like a Dragon Prince, almost like a Legend of Korra, in that every episode has its, like, core problem as part of an ongoing story yeah and the the baby yoda thing just kind of made me feel like it was a little bit formulaic but when you fill out the character of the mandalorian be like oh cool he's like involved in this like bounty hunter mandalorian guild and like a culvert and tatooine or whatever not tatooine some other planet oh they named it they did i could i could not pick the name up garbage five uh but then you also see that he had this like massive like criminal background, oh, yeah. like work he, working with the highest bidder, and the highest bidder is bad people. Yeah, and uh, you don't see that a lot in Star Wars because typically speaking, you don't have a lot of like scoundrels. Typically, in in your average Star Wars movie, you're gonna have one scoundrel to type, and that scoundrel is gonna be uh, at least ancillary to a protagonist. 
But to see an actual scoundrel scoundrel? Yeah. A rogue? Very yeah. cool. Well, the one of the coolest parts of Star Wars that rarely gets touched on is like the underworld. The underground. There's a word yeah. for it. What? Underworld? Underworld, yeah. Yeah. The underworld stories, which are really good. Um, and... Unfortunately, our, our point of view has always been from the light side of the Force. Yeah. We never really get into the gray that much, but the Mandalorian is absolutely a person who... They don't have a lot of options. Yeah, we never they, we never see Greedo's ship. Yeah. Like, we never see the people who are, like, the nasty people. Yeah. Because I, the, the palpable thing about Star Wars that's enjoyable is you feel like... The bad side is winning. Yeah. They're at like 51%. You feel the the rot and you mm-hmm. feel the, the avarice and the greed. Because Star Wars is a world where like you can see the sins. You can see... Star Trek yeah. is a world where that does not exist. Yeah, Star Wars is a world of definitely like black and white. Yeah. But there's this there's been this gray the entire time. Yeah. And only recently have we started to really look at it within the realm of the movies. I think mm-hmm. the legends... Probably do a really good job of that. But Mara like, Jade, baby. Yeah, stuff Rest like... Rest in peace, Mara Jade. Stuff like that. But, uh, um... I, it, we've only really seen a glimpse of that in The Last Jedi with the Canto Bite section mm-hmm. where Finn gets to see that there is this gray section and because he sees this gray section profiteering of war, mm-hmm. he finally, like, finds the... the the courage he needs to stand up for something. Because he's like, I'm not going to be like uh, this guy with a stutter. I'm going to be my own person. Yeah. And stand up and try to kill myself in the cannon. Mm-hmm. And then Rose saves him. And that's a whole other thing. Yeah. But uh, in the mainstream movies, we don't really see... Like Han, we can allude or we can in, uh, infer that he was part of the gray area. Mm-hmm. That then chooses the light. Yeah. Once he gets tangled up in it. But we don't get much of that. And, and that's what I kind of liked about some elements of the Solo movie. Mm-hmm. Was that it dealt with the underground. Like yeah. it, it was definitely... It had touches of that. And then you learn that... Spoilers for a movie nobody cares about. But uh, Darth Maul has like been in the under the underworld for a while and that's what i want to see and apparently we're supposed to i'm supposed to watch some cartoon yeah yeah that's it's, not happening make a movie i mean it, it's essential to the dna of star wars it's the story it's trying to tell is that it it is a world of black and white it's a world of like there is a good and mm-hmm. there is an evil. But the thing is, is it's like the evil is like a Sharpie. Like, you touch it and it leaves a mark. Yeah. Like, the the most interesting stories in Star Wars are the ones that are the most human. In that it's everyone starts good, mm-hmm. but everyone gets a little evil. Yeah. Every, and I mean, it's like light side, dark side, but it's also like law and like lawlessness. So, like, you, you get to see, like... Things are degraded by the ever presence of this like inky blackness, this evil, this mm. amorality at the center of the universe, and everything's just a fight against that. Yeah. So like, it's really interesting to like see these characters who are just like scoundrels. Yeah. Who, who are rogues who exist in this like band between the actual true evil of the dark side, the the side that like seeks annihilation. Versus the, like, genuine good guys. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, like, 
there's such like interiority to these people. Yeah. Even though all of the scoundrel people in this most recent episode are scumbags, mm-hmm. I love that they're scumbags. That's I great. love that they weren't redeemable. They shouldn't be. Like it it takes it's weird to say this, but it takes so much it it takes guts in television today to just make bad people like bad people bad. There's a there's a merit to containing things to one episode because to make a bad character just bad, but then extend your time to the audience with them, they start to fall flat. Yeah, they they become one dimensional. But if you you know you contain it to a single episode. Doesn't matter if they're one-dimensional. They get in, they serve their purpose, they're bad for being bad. Bill Burr makes a lot of great jokes. Yeah. He's a really he's a really great merit to the episode. Can we talk about Can we just talk about Bill Burr? No, can we talk about the casting on this most recent episode? Richard Ayotte? We had Bill Burr, we had Clancy Brown of Starship Troopers slash Carnival fame. We had wait, Richard wait, pause. Who's he in Carnival? Uh, he's the counterpoint to the... Oh, he's he's the, the evil preacher guy. The evil, the evil preacher guy. Evil. He's the preacher guy. He was evil. Yeah. That's he's, another he's, show about black and white. But yeah. He's, he's literally evil. He's one of the best parts of Carnival. Let's move on. But no, it's it's him, it's Clancy Brown, it's Richard Iwade from the IT crowd. Just a great casting. Oh, yeah. The And the, the lady who plays the Twi'lek... And the guy who plays the, like, Doc Master guy. I know I've seen them in things, and they're both great. Yeah. Uh, I just... I feel like Bill Burr was given license to say things that people don't get to say in-universe. Like, oh, yeah, he was an Imperial uh, troop. And then, like, the Mando kind of looks at him and he's like, I wasn't a Stormtrooper. Yeah. It's like, because Stormtroopers don't have good aim. And yeah. He calls somebody a Twee. And he's like, oh, yeah, because they're Twi'leks. No one would say that because people just know. Yeah. And he, he said one other... Oh, he made a Gungan reference. He did. Like, oh, maybe you're a Gungan under there. I almost feel... And it's just like... He gets... I guess because he gets... He's a comedian. He gets to say all the, yeah. the observational things about the universe that nobody gets to say. And it works because people would point out, that guy talks weird. Yeah, if any other character said that, they couldn't get away with it. Mm-hmm. But such a great makeup... I love that Bill Burr was in it doing dumb shit, being, like, hyper-aware of the situation. I I love that it was, like, totally encapsulated in this prison ship. I love that it was manned by droids, so the the stakes were known, but then it throws in a... Oh, Oh, yeah. It's a good episode. It's really good. And because it's a time... Because it takes place when it takes place, I can believe that, yeah, X-Wings would totally show up. And try to police the situation because they're now like the the peacekeepers, yeah, the new republic. Yeah, if if it happened during wartime, I'm like, there's no way they would show up and and shoot up a, a a random space station. Yeah, I mean, all they know is there's a distress beacon and gunships being launched, so yeah. weapons free, dog. Uh, there was a there was a moment where. I knew that uh, that me and my girlfriend were on the same page about the Mandalorian because when the lockdown happens on the prison ship, yeah, she was like, "Get him, <laughs> get him," and we all knew what was happening. We all knew that's that's the power of the Mandalorian, yeah. knowing what everyone knows and playing with that. It's a good show, which. If you would just cut out the Baby Yoda stuff, yeah. there needs to be a portion of time where you separate. 
the baby Yoda from the Mandalorian for a few episodes. So this this whole well, there's only like two left. Yeah. Oh no, I'm sad. I don't want to watch Wanda and Vision. I don't oh, care okay. about that. I don't care about Marvel movies anymore. I don't care about how fucking ripped Kamal Nanjiani got to be in the fucking Eternals. I don't care about Marvel movies because they ended. Marvel movies ended and I'm happy that they're over and I don't care about anything else but Star Wars. Okay. Oh, that's, I don't care that's about ending Wanda soon too. I don't care about Wanda and Vision. I, you don't have to. I'll watch it. I'm gonna watch it I'll because be our... the Mandalorian's over because Disney Plus fucking figured it out and they're only gonna have one tentpole show running at a time and they'll have a perfect... S- sucks. What? It sucks yeah. how perfect they, they figured it out. It's marketing that it's They're gonna run brutal. ten episodes of the show everyone's talking about. Eight? Eight. They're gonna run eight episodes of the show everyone's talking about. Eight episodes of the next show everyone's talking about. There'll never be overlap because they don't want to, like... Compete against themselves. They don't... It's so smart. They don't want to be Netflix. This is the crazy thing. They don't want to be Netflix. Yeah. They want to be Disney Plus, and Disney Plus is... We're going to have one show that dominates the zeitgeist. It's such a smart strategy because they're like, what's the thing everyone's talking about? The new Disney thing. Yeah. How does it serve us to have two of those happening at the same time? Although it was competing with Watchmen this entire time. Is Watchmen a Disney thing? No, it's DC, but it was on HBO. And also, I've watched all of it now. I haven't watched any of it. Is it true what they say? It is true what they say. God damn it. I watched The Watchmen. I was hoping it wasn't true what they said. Uh, I don't want to talk about it. The only thing I'll talk, I'll say to you as a friend right now, I like it. It's probably the best thing Damon Lindioff has ever done. If there's ever a season two, it'll be the worst thing Damon Lindioff has ever done. Uh, they have openly said that they I I know what they, I, know I know what they say. I know what they say. But on the site for HBO, it, the last episode says season finale, mm. not series finale. I uh, I know for a fact that there there's a pretty there's a pretty hot take going around. You know, short for opinion, uh, that uh, Watchmen is a series that never should have gotten a sequel. Uh, in this, it got the best sequel it could have possibly gotten, and. Absolutely, there should not be a sequel to it. They they pulled off the most impossible trick in fiction yeah. in that they made a sequel to something that there was no way to make a good sequel to it, and you cannot make a sequel to that. I can't. You get, can't. You can't keep rolling the dice like that. I can't get into it, but this was a very important story to be told about race and a very bad take on one character from the original source material I feel but maybe enough time has passed that I need to let that go but we're talking about Star Wars John. I know we're talking about Bill Burr's Boston accent Bill Burr's space Boston I'm just saying the Mandalorian's good fucking cool it on the baby Yoda stuff and maybe it will. I feel like there was an episode with no Baby Yoda in it at all. Wasn't it, like, not this last episode, but the episode before that? Which one? The one with uh, Amy Sedaris. She had Baby Yoda. She had him, but... Uh, that was... It bookended the episode. If that's the way it worked, where there's just a little bit of Baby Yoda at the beginning, a little bit at the end, that's fine. They, you wanted... 
then they'll be separated, and in that episode they yeah. largely are, and then it becomes at the very end it became a thing. Yeah, but you know, I strange that that episode, which does exactly what I say I want to have with Baby Yoda, might have been my least favorite of the season. It wasn't super good. Yeah, I, feel I didn't like even it, recognize Amy Sedaris. I feel like it was the weakest episode. I actually didn't like that character at all. I thought she was okay. I didn't like... She didn't have eyebrows. I didn't like the fake Han Solo guy. How do you not have eyebrows? You have to be a special race. Do eyebrows not grow back? For maybe Sedaris? Never. She has eyebrows. What? Does she? I don't know. She's a cat. She is a cat. Cats don't have eyebrows. They have whiskers. Oh, man. There's a joke in BoJack Horseman where she says she's got to get her whiskers trimmed. And then she follows that up with, I, I run into walls constantly, but man, I look hot. <laughs> That's pretty funny. And Toucan Birdie. Uh, Never fucking saw it. Is it still on Netflix? It is still on Netflix. I heard it's good. I'm watching 30 Rock again. Ah, uh, Kenneth. Uh, no, that's all the thoughts I have about Chill on the Baby Yoda Mandalorian's a good show. I guess that's all I really wanted to say. I thought you had another take. You said you had two things. Oh, my second take was the nature of, like, episodic, oh, episodic yeah. content yeah. versus, like, prestige TV. Well, I mean, yeah, we're, we're in an era where I certainly need a story to follow between episodes. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the one good thing that Dragon Prince had going for it, is that it, it continued the story and it was fine. It just falls into a lot of pratfalls and easy writing. That's, I don't like it. But I definitely need something to, like, hold on to between episodes now. I've gotten to a point where if you don't have that, mm-hmm. I can't stomach another Friends. I feel like the the episodic sitcom was a thing of the 90s, and the 90s are over. We're going into 2020. We need something to sink our teeth into. Mm-hmm. That's why Barry is good. That's why Veep is good. That's why Silicon Valley is good. Those are all HBO shows. But HBO has this thing where... They do comedies, 30-minute comedies, but there's something to follow episode to episode. You always kind of know where you're going because they set up these arcs. And then Mm -hmm. by the end of the season, the arc might close, but then you know they're going to set up a new arc. Yeah. Storytelling needs to, to adapt more to that. I'm done with the bland nothingness connected between the two. And the Mandalorian started with that and kind of has that to a degree because we're Mm. still following the arc of you got to find a safe place to put this baby. Yeah. But there's a reason why the baby doesn't show up in the movies, right? One would imagine. The baby's dead, right? The baby has to die. The baby. The baby has to die. What is... The Mando shoots the baby in the face. So, what is the assumption that the Mandalorian takes place about nine years after the events of uh, Return of the Jedi? Maybe. Roughly about nine years. When does... Uh, 35 years later. Force Awakens? I mean, we know that, but that baby doesn't grow up. It is it, it is exactly 35 years after uh, Return of the Jedi. That baby doesn't grow up. Or... Yeah, the baby has to die, right? Because of the brutalistic western like it's maybe baby maybe the uh baby yoda and the mandalorian fuse into a greater being called ray (laughs) 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 no no wait look i'm just saying (laughs) don't fuse together 
But they are raised parents. They Finally, are, the question they is answered. Parents. The Mandalorian and Baby Yoda are raised parents. J.J. Abrams said he was going to answer the question. <laughs> Little yes. did we know John Favreau was already getting us there beforehand. Kylo Ren said, I've, I know who your parents <laughs> are. And they like, there's a flashback to him like looking at a picture <laughs> of the Mandalorian, looking at Baby Yoda, Mandalorian, Baby Yoda. He's like... They were no one. He doesn't want to explain it because there's not time. I'm saving you some trouble, Ray. They were nothing. They sold you for drinking money. And he's like, this is the best narrative for her. Yeah. This is to protect she, her. She can't know. And then now what's going to happen is that moment's going to... How, how Star Wars Episode Nine opens as that moment plays, J.J. Abrams walks onto the set... Punches Adam Driver in the face and says, It was the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda. I'm J.J. Abrams. Do the crawl. And then Scarlett Johansson shows up and her and Adam Driver have a fight and he punches a wall. There's a kid in that. Marriage Story? Yeah. Have you seen it? No. Me either. It's like nominated for six Golden Globes. I, uh, Noah Baumbach made The Squid and the Whale, which I like, but I don't like to see people get divorced. Is that what that's about? It's called marriage story, not divorce story. Yeah, but you know it's not going to be happy. Oh, because Adam I- Driver can't. <laughs> you know how be- Listen, no. Were you about to say Adam Driver can't be happy? <laughs> Adam Driver can't be happy. Adam Driver knows how to do two things: scream and get divorced, and fight for our nation. He was a marine. Noah Baumbach is uh, good in the whale. Noah Baumbach only makes movies about upper-class people who wear Rolexes getting divorces. Oh. Juno? That's uh, uh, Diablo Cody. Oh. All these people whose names I don't know. Diablo Cody made Juno. Mm. (laughs) I put that together. (laughs) Did you know that? Yeah. Wow, good. All right. Well, let's just wrap up our talk of The Mandalorian with uh, mention of another director that you and I like, but I don't know if anyone knows exists. Uh, his name is Yorgos Lanthimos. Yes. Uh, Yorgos Lanthimos, a uh, big fan here on the podcast. Oh, I love the lobster. Is he directing the next episode of The Mandalorian? No. That's the one where Baby Yoda dies. Taika Waititi's uh, directing episode eight, just so you know. Hell yeah. They made him the voice. They he made was, him the voice. They made him the voice. Uh, clap, so, clap, they made him the voice. Snap, snap, they made him the voice. They made him the voice. They made him the voice of the robot. Did you ever see the ki- a killing of the sacred deer? Yeah. Oh, was it good? It's real fucked up. Okay. Here's the thing. The Lobster, his least fucked up movie. Lobster's really good, but that ending, though. Lobster's great. Ooh. Ends on a real... Weird note. Yeah, real bad. Yorgos Lanthimos uh, is going to produce Gothard... Wow. Gothard... <laughs> Gothic Western, the Hawkline Monster. Okay. I'm really excited. I love Westerns and now, I love him. Now, the Hawkline Monster is a movie that has been trying to be made, and I'm not exaggerating, for literal decades. Oh, wow. Uh, but here's a, a Is this like that Terry Gilliam movie about Don Quixote? Oh, the man who killed La Mancha? Yes. That's been made. Yeah, but they tried to make it for like 40 years. Yeah, I know, but it's been made, but also... It's not great from what I've heard. We'll never see it because the rights to that movie... The Man the of long, La Mancha? The Ma- Man of La Mancha, maybe? No, I don't know. The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. The ma- the, the, the assassination man- of Don Quixote by the coward Robert Ford. <laughs> no, it's The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. And um, 
We'll never see it because the rights, I think, a billion, a millionaire in Spain says Great. he owns the rights. Great. Let me finish this headline, this synopsis. So, uh, the Hawkline monster, the synopsis, two hero gunslingers are hired by a young girl to kill the monsters that live in ice caves under her house. That sounds great. This movie has been in hiatus, in some type of production, for decades. This is one of those projects that's that's been going around for decades with several attempts to get made. Al, Hal Ashby almost got it done with Jack Nicholson and Dustin Hoffman. Jeff and Bo Bridges replaced them, and it fell through. Then Tim Burton tried to get it done with Clint Eastwood, but that didn't work out either. Incredible. This movie's been around. This is so weird to me. That only, you know, it's a thing that only insiders would know. Movies that just go around and around on the the production circuit. The Hawkline Monster apparently doesn't want to get made, but maybe Lanthimos is the, the guy to get it done. I feel like, uh, considering he made, like, Houndstooth and Killing of a Sacred Deer, he makes movies that have no reason to exist, so I feel like he's probably the person to get to make this. That's pretty cool. I yeah. want to be that guy one day. I, I don't know. I, I have a ton of faith in him. I haven't seen a movie of his that I dislike. I think that he's, like, a, one of the most paramount artists working today. I... I will not say that I recommend his movies uh, whole cloth because watch the lobster. The lobster is his most feel good movie. It's still really fucked up. You say feel good, yeah, kind of feel good. It's an anti romance. Yeah, it's his funnest movie. You okay? But he makes some real oh, bummer. He's not oh, afraid to make you feel bad. Oh my god! I just remember that one scene. Yeah. All right, well, before he's, I start crying... He's really not afraid to make you feel bad. Oh, makes me feel like fucking shit. <laughs> yeah, he's he is really not afraid to make you feel bad. Which is good in an artist. I guess, yeah. I mean, if you feel something, that means you're removed. Yes, uh, indeed. So let's look forward to the Hawkline monster. Although, just because that headline was said doesn't mean anything. Uh, another headline was... Uh, came up this past week that uh, WB's Taika Waititi directed Akira project has now been officially removed from the production schedule. Good. Don't remake Akira. Probably. Don't remake a movie that's basically perfect. Yeah. Uh, That just shouldn't be done. And as much as I like Taika Waititi, I don't know if he could... I don't know what he would do with it. I would be fascinated because he does seem like someone who has a uh, a healthy disdain for the idea of being overly slavish to source material. So I'd be fascinated to know what he'd do, but I don't necessarily want to see it. We kind of already got that with Chronicle. I also know who should be... I know who should star in the Hawkeye Monster. Oh, the two gunslingers and mm-hmm. the young girl? Yeah, Matthew... Uh, young girl, I don't care. Anyway... Uh, Greta Thunberg. Right, so Matthew, Greta Thunberg. Whatever. Matthew McConaughey Matthew is the younger. Matthew McConaughey girl. is gunslinger number one. Okay. Gunslinger number two, Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> I want the McCon the the, the I McConaughey's. Want, I want Matthew McConaughey and dark Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> no, hear me out. I want I want good it. heroic Matthew yeah, McConaughey, yeah. and then like uh mud. Like, Rust Cole, True Detective Matthew McConaughey? I'm 100% serious about this. I so, think he could do it. I give you that casting, but only if 
the good McConaughey says like, all right, all right. And the bad McConaughey goes on the third one, like, all right, all right. Okay. <laughs> That'd be very good. Look, because like, he's no, he's no, he's not fun. Yeah, he's not fun. This would be can, the Jack and Jill of Matthew McConaughey's can, career. Can we make the Hawkline monster a commentary on Matthew McConaughey's career starring Matthew McConaughey twice? So, is the good one, like, the Matthew McConaughey from Failure to Launch? Or is he the Matthew McConaughey from, like, Dallas, Dallas Buyers Club? Uh, I'd say somewhere between the two. I think uh, Matthew McConaughey is, like, an earnest good person in him somewhere. Matthew McConaughey from We Are Marshall? Absolutely. All right. And then you have, like, Rust Cole, Matthew McConaughey, who's not fun. Yeah. He drives a Lincoln. Time is a flat circle. <laughs> Time to kill some ass monsters. You ever read the short story, The Yellow King? Because that's what I think we're dealing with here. What if, uh, I don't think he ever said that. No one, here's the thing, no No one one ever made reference to The Yellow King. No one in True Detective actually read The Yellow King. Yeah. If they did, they'd be like, oh, the short story kind of sucks. Uh, Carcosa, you want to end the episode? We should, but not before we make the announcement. We are absolutely going to do a Best Worst 2019. Unfortunately, we're going to record it before this episode goes live. So, there's nothing you can do. Uh, I did some remedial, some little basic post asking for categories on our social media. We got some response. Uh, What we're going to do, we need to have this conversation. We're going to have it on air. Prepare video game. Uh huh. Movie, movie, television show, television show. Then the rest is kind of like up to the wind. We got to do ten. Okay. I already know my three. All right. Well, don't say them now. Okay. Number one. Fuck. <laughs> oh no. So yeah, look, look for the best worst. It'll come out next week, even though we're recording it this week, and uh, that's gonna wrap up 2019 for us here on Zero Credits because we're going. I know we just went on the holiday hiatus, but we're going on another one because. <gasps> we gotta do it. Yeah, we gotta go see our family. We gotta go to different places in the south. Yeah, we have to go back. We have to go back, Kate. The island. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, much like, uh, everything else in life, the episode's already been recorded. You could do nothing, uh, about it, but wait for the end. Yep. And to that end, Let's do some social media plugs. And since you edited the last episode, I edit this one, which means you do the social media. If you want to reach out to us and tweet about how you're disappointed that you can't submit a category for Best Worst, you can do so at twitter.com at zcpcwhj. And John, what does that stand for? My best movie of 2019 coming in at number one is, of course, going to be... That's right, it stands for Zero Credits Podcast with Henry and John. If you want to send us your top ten different categories of things and the best and the worst of them, you can do that. It's going to be longer than 248 billion characters, so you got to do that on Gmail or just whatever email you use. But you can send that email to Zero Credits. i got to talk slower. Zero credits is a podcast at gmail.com. Send us your list. Send us your bliss. But whatever you do, don't send us weird pictures of your lips. We don't, 
I don't know what to do with that. How do you even get a picture of a lisp? I don't know. Did I say lips or lisp? That's for the fan to decide. And we are on Spotify. There's a podcast section of Spotify. Did you know that? Are we on your wrapped for 2019? I don't fucking know what Spotify is. But if you go to the podcast section of Spotify, if you type out zero credit, open parenthesis, close parenthesis, there's an S in the middle of those. You will find us and we will be there with open bells on. The bells are open. And you know what else is open? Apple Music Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. That's where you can find us. Where we are waiting for your reviews. Your star amount. Amount of stars. We would like five. We would like five of your stars. And a review. It helps us on the, on the, on the, on the, on the, uh, the metrics <sighs> to run the podcast. This really bums me out. But last but not least, all we really need for you is word of your mouth. If you put words in your mouth that say, I listen to Zero Credits Podcast, it's so good. Then you say those words in front of other people and they hear, Zero Credits Podcast, so good. They're going to look at Zero Credits Podcast. We're going to be a millionaire. And listeners, because we will listen to you. Wait, no, you will listen to us. And we'll listen to you. And we'll listen to you. That's a promise. Four was a mistake. Yeah, four beers is definitely a mistake. I used to cut it at two. You you look better now. You look less sweaty than you do after three IPAs. IPAs that hard. Yeah, they do. Three in an hour is... Wait, uh, I look sweaty? Not now. We need to get a webcam. When you drink like three IPAs an hour, you start to look uh, <laughs> pretty disheveled. Uh, as I'm sure I do too, but... From everyone here, here at, at the, the Zero Credits, two-bedroom, two-bathroom, studio, apartment, studios, we, we would like to wish you a happy week. Oh, we said it at the same time, so I don't know who says, like, bye now. I really, I, uh, you want to, like, Rochambeau for it? Is that rock, paper, scissors? Yeah. No. Now. Just say bye. No, I'm not gonna be the one to Okay, let's say it on let's say it on three together. Alright. Right. One, two, three. Frozen! Bye! Bye! <laughs> <laughs>